Okay, I'm going to start my story by telling you about a dream because I want to capture your hearts. Because I've been a Christian 40, 40 years. I came, I was a wild girl. And Annette and I were wild girls together. That's Sam's mum. And we met a couple of Bible college boys. We were Christians before we met them, but... I knew what it was to be touched by the love of God. I hadn't grown up as a Christian. My mother was a very progressive woman. She was um, not to our advantage. But um, she was atheist, and uh, she was actually probably incredibly ahead of herself with the whole feminism thing, which was actually good for us in many ways, because she taught us we could do anything or be anything. But um, when I was 25 years old and drunk... Um, God spoke to me in a restaurant and said, this life is not for you anymore. And uh, three weeks later, I went through some prayer that I didn't understand and my whole life was radically changed. I had been dope smoking, wine toting, whatever you goes with it and everything that goes with it. But everything changed, totally everything. I actually woke up the next morning different. And, you know, it's 40 years and... I love Jesus more now than I've ever loved Jesus. And I've asked him that this part of my life be all about the love of God. Now, I don't always get that right. I don't know about you. But if you pray something like that, if you ask something like that, he'll keep you to it. And I said, I want this season to be about the love of God. But let me just tell you a dream I had. We have three sons. Uh, one's 37, one's 36, and one is 31. Our second son, Gregory, is autistic, and he lives in care. He went into care when he was 14 because he was violent and um, he was extremely difficult to manage. We were pastors at the time and it wasn't, you know, we gave up the church actually. It wasn't, we didn't give up the Gregory for the church. We were just so beaten up in ourselves when we Gregory. But God gave me a beautiful dream and um, I just want you to put yourself in this dream because I believe it's a dream for the body of Christ. Gregory doesn't talk much and you can never go he to Conaghy with him because he can't stand that facial thing. He finds that very threatening. So in this dream, I see Gregory, who doesn't talk much, and he runs up to me in the dream. He's talking, and he runs up, and he just kisses me on the lips. And I knew in the dream that he was healed, and I, th I knew it was heaven because that's when we will all come to full healing. But when I woke up, I felt God say to me, this is a dream for the body. Because just as autistic people struggle, they actually struggle to receive affection. They struggle to have people touch them at times. God said to me, a lot of my children are like this. I want to be kanohi with them. I want to be face to face. I want to be nose to nose. I want to be face to face, mouth to mouth. But they will not allow me to love them. How hard it is, isn't it, to realise how much Father loves us. But everywhere in his word, he's put beautiful parables, stories, just to show us his amazing love. And the one that um, I particularly love, and it's from the Old Testament, is the story of Hosea. And if you're not familiar with this, Hosea was a prophet. This was a time uh, King Jeroboam II was reigning 
And this was a time when Israel, uh, even though they'd come out with Moses, even though amazing things had happened, um, they had got back into this whole mixed thing where they were still worshipping God somewhat, and it said they were, uh, there was, uh, they were drinking flagons of wine. Some of you won't remember flagons. <laughs> well, I grew up in a house where there were loads of flagons. In fact, there used to be six flagons every weekend. Um, and that was when we were younger, and, and it was pretty much a pretty tough home life. But, um, and uh, they were worshipping Baal. And so they're not really listening to God. They're not going through the things that would remind them about God. But God sends prophets because they always seem to be pretty interested in what the prophets had to say. So in comes Hosea. His name means saviour. And God speaks to him and gives him some instructions. Now the prophets in the old days had a pretty bad time. You know how these days, um, I think we've seen years of prophets who have been pretty strange. I love, I love Sean Boltz. He's so flipping normal. And uh, my husband is too, actually. <laughs> he is very normal and, um, and has a wonderful gift, which he uses to bless others, not to further himself in any way. But here's Hosea, which, whose name means saviour, and God gives him some, he gives him some instructions. I just want to put your, I want you to have yourself in that place of God's love, thinking about how God wants to take you and bring you right up close. And also try and imagine what this was like for Hosea in the times they lived. Go, take yourself, an adulterous wife, and have children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Now, can you imagine... A prophet, uh, now there's two schools of thoughts on this, whether Goma, whose name means completely, whether she was an adulterous woman or whether she was just called that because she was one of the Israelites. And this is how God was seeing the Israelites. But regardless, the story goes on. And um, so he goes, he takes Goma and, uh, and actually God says to him, this woman's going to break your heart. Now, I've, we've done plenty of pre-marriage um, stuff, and I've always said to Phil, it needs to be done a year later, because they're so dreamy, and they just like, love will conquer everything. Love will be fine. They haven't even thought about how they're going to feel about that person in four months when something annoys them. But this was no sort of fancy pre-marriage counselling. It was, go get an adulterous woman, and she's going to break your heart. And uh, obedient he was. And he got Goma, who represented what was going on in Israel. Um, they have three children. The first child called Jezreel, which means scattered. We talked about one of the battles they'd had. The next child, it gets progressively worse. No mercy. Lo Ruhma. Lo Ami was the third child, not my people. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? And it would be hard to know because whether she had actually gone out of the marriage at that stage and the child wasn't Hosea's. Some of those details we don't actually know. And then God, it's interesting in Hosea 2, it talks about how God will block her in with thorn, thorn bushes and things. You know, when we decide to go off on a destructive pattern and all God's principles are about his love, he doesn't want to spoil our fun. He wants us to have the very best 
ever. But when he puts things in scripture, it's because he he knows how much it will damage us. It damages us. And when you go looking outside of your marriage or outside the parameters of God's love uh, in, in morality, it's because you're looking for love in all the wrong places. That's all that is. Don't be shocked or horrified that people do things when they're looking for love. It's all about looking for love. But the love we're really looking for is from Ihukraiti. That's the love. That's the only love that will heal us. I know that from the life I lived and what happened for me when I accepted Jesus. I've never had any desire to go back to the kind of love I was looking for in all the wrong places. It's been such a rich life, even with a son who's been severely disabled, who we still struggle with now, who still every couple of years has a big crisis and they have to throw another whole bunch of drugs into him because all they can really do is put like a blanket over him. But that boy, that son of ours, has taught us more about love than you could ever learn. Because there's no return, really. I mean, you shift the goalposts. There's tiny little returns. Um, he comes home every couple of weeks, and Phil takes him into town, and they go to Te Papa, and you'll all be thinking, oh, he's a cultural. <laughs> Sorry, it's the cafe. <laughs> then they go to Lambton Quay. Movies? No, it's another cafe. <laughs> and then they walk down to the station, and they go to another cafe. So it's a cafe trip, and I said to Phil, please can you write out these cafes, because if you die, I don't know where the cafes are. (laughs) And I'm planning to get someone else to take them to the cafes. And they go in on the train, they don't speak a word, it's Phil's idea of heaven. Gregory and Phil sitting on the train, no one speaking. (laughs) And this beautiful boy, he comes home, and uh, he lives to come home. And do you know what? Do you know the people in that house? I just think, I don't think any of them are are people who would acknowledge Jesus as their saviour. But boy, are they God with skin on. Are they Jesus with skin on? They care for our boy. They keep him clean and tidy. They take him for walks. They take him for swims. He attacks them at times because he's anxious. One of them had the shoulder dislocated. But they're so amazing. They are so amazing. You know, Jesus, Christians do not have a monopoly on caring. In fact, we can be at a lower level sometimes. The IHC, the IHC was the best help to us. All those years, we never had to explain to him. We never had to tell them that we were working on our sin, you know, because Christians said to us sometimes, have you got sin in your life? I said, I bet I have. I mean, how ridiculous. You know, if we didn't have sin in our life, Gregory would be okay. But anyway, I digress. I want to go back to the story. But this is all God's love story. This is all God's love story. To have someone who cannot respond to you, who cannot give you anything, and you you keep on loving them. That is God's story. That is the story of the Father with us, with, with with the Israelites. That is his story. And yet he breaks in and he brings Jesus so that we can relate to God. People say, what's 
You say to people on WhatsApp, I remember a guy called John Smith, he said, he said to someone, God's like your father. He said, if he's like my beeping, beeping father, I don't want to know him. So he sent Jesus. Who can't relate to Jesus? Do you know, I don't know of anyone that has a problem with Jesus. And as what they understand of him, the person of him, they may not want to acknowledge him or have him in their lives, but people agree that Jesus is a good man. They really do. So here we go. She's gone off, Goma, and in this time she's got into quite a pickle, and she's been sold a couple of times, and then God comes again to Hosea, and he says, go buy her back. You see, he had to go back and buy back what was his, what he already owned. There's some great parallels here, isn't there, with the father and us. Go show love to your wife again, even though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethal of barley. And I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod ephod or household gods. Can you imagine um, Hosea, who was well known as a prophet, going to that place? I don't know where it is here, where prostitutes gather. In Wellington, it's Vivian Street. Can you imagine the gossip in the church? Oh my goodness, what's he doing down there? What is he doing in that place? That's what they said about Jesus. He's mixing with tax collectors and sinners. I wish they'd say more of that about the church. What are they doing there? Mixing with prostitutes and the homeless. What are they doing? They should be running a jolly three-point sermon and worship, and they're down there mixing with people who are in so much need of God's love. Can you imagine how Goma felt when she heard the voice of Hosea saying, how much? I suspect she was being sold. It appears she was being sold in the slave market. She could have been naked, but he covered her. He paid for her with silver and barley. Barley was a currency of the poor. He was not a rich man. He gathered all that together and paid for her and took her home. Can you imagine what shame she felt? But this is the love of God. This is the love of God. He paid for her in silver and barley, but Jesus paid for you with the precious blood with his blood. But Hosea is a type of Jesus. If you look through the whole Old Testament, it's all pointing to the ultimate saviour. And then he was gracious enough to take her home and say, you shall not go with another man and I will not be with you either. To give her a chance to heal, I believe. That's what he wanted her to do. He wanted her to heal. He wanted her to realise there was one man who did not want her for sex. And I imagine over that time she started to heal and then God said to him, give yourself to her. Like, don't be stroppy with her. Don't punish her. Give yourself to her. 
Forgiveness is a very painful thing, isn't it? And yet God models this for us all the time. He models it in this prophet who would have had to bear a whole lot of shame. Shame is a terrible thing. Shame is an awful thing. But do you know what? In Jesus, there is no condemnation. It doesn't matter whether you have been in any kind of lifestyle. There is no lifestyle that cannot be redeemed. There is no one who is out of the reach of the Father. No one. And he has brought you back from the slave market, naked, vulnerable, exposed. And he lets you heal. And he wants nothing for you but to give himself to you. And when he gives himself to you, you want nothing else but to pour out your love for him. You know, there I was, 25 years old, never heard the name of Jesus, really never been to church. And I get amazingly touched when I'm drunk. All the stuff that I loved, the dope, the drink, the men, that all went. Not because I was trying hard, just because I got the love that I was really looking for. And it's that love we're looking for. And he gave me a wonderful husband. He'd only smoked half a cigarette down the back of the farm. (laughs) But he never questioned me too much. He loved me. He just said, I'm really... You know what he said to me? And I said, well, I've had, you know a reasonably sort of colourful life. (laughs) He said, I'm really sorry that that was your story. You know, when I was 18, I had a baby that was adopted out who's now 40, I'm 65, she's 47. In the days where it was so shameful to have a child. But God has healed that too. I've been able to meet her. We get together and have coffees. Um, It's not what mother and daughter should be. But it's good. I just want to encourage you that it doesn't matter where you've been. One of the problems I think we have in church is we feel my sin is worse than anyone else's sin. It is not. It is not. It said that Jesus, you know, there's no, no sin, no brokenness that you've had that is not common to man. But we have a high priest who cries out for us 24-7. If you think no one's praying for you, Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding. That's his new job description. He is an intercessor, interceding for us. He understands our pain. He understands our brokenness. He knows he's not disgusted by any of us. He loves us. He knows we're looking for love in the wrong places. And sometimes even when you know Jesus and you've, you've, you've acknowledged him and you've asked him to come to your life, we have to continue on. And I think it's like what Phil was saying in the last, I mean, I'm a, I, for a while, Phil was doing the digging into God and the Word and everything, and I was like, well, Phil's doing it. We'll be right. Um, <laughs> but then Phil challenged me, you know, because I was, I mean, I was preaching all the time and everything, but I don't know how deep my relationship was. I really don't. He challenged me about some disciplines in my life because I'm a much more sort of spontaneous, do-it-by-feel 
kind of person. But I've found, you know, if you will, if you will, the Bible is full of that. If you will do this, you will have peace. You know, I was talking to someone, I said, you know, Jesus gives us his peace, but we have to receive his peace. Because Christians aren't really the most peaceful people. Our rates of anxiety and depression are as high as anywhere. The great thing is everyone's talking about it now. I've, I've had a, uh, I had a bit of a breakdown after the earthquakes in Christchurch, and everyone was thrilled at the church. Um, it sounds sick and perverse, doesn't it? But <laughs> they were like, thank God, one of the pastors has got up and said that they've had a breakdown and they're on medication. I tell you what. That meant I was against going on medication, even though I'd been a psych nurse and a hospice nurse, and I, I was great at telling everyone else what to do. But when my doctor said to me, you need medication, because I'd sit out in the waiting room that whole, you know, God, if he, I'll do what he says, because I've been doing what I thought for a long time. And he put me on some medication. I tell you what, four weeks later, I'm like, oh my goodness, where the hell have I been? Where was I? Four or five years, low-grade depression. Because you're an extrovert, you just push yourself and push yourself and push yourself. And that was my pretty much my MO anyway, and that was the way we grew up. You just get on with it. They didn't have any support groups in those days for a broken pencil, you know. <laughs> it's almost, I don't know if it's good or bad, but we kind of just had to tough it out. And um, probably wasn't great. But we were, it, it kind of made us resilient too. And I, I just want to tell you that it, it was a wonderful thing to see that my brain chemicals had actually reduced through years and years of stress with Gregory and with the earthquakes. And I, that is the love of God. My doctor was the love of God to me. That is the love of God. I don't think it's so prominent in the church now, but the church I was born again into was very, very judgmental. You never mention mental health. Um, but mental health is part of the world we live in. It's part of the church we live in too. And uh, we're very keen to start looking at this very seriously in our church and just really making a space for people to be able to talk about these things without shame. Um, so I guess, I guess what I want, I'd just love to be able to give you all the love that I felt that God's shown to me to you. And it's been through hardship and it's been through many years, but I love Jesus more now than I ever, ever have. And we've had other things happen in our lives too, but I don't, the love of God, faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Your faith can you know, can be in strange places at times, maybe good places as you're negotiating what you really believe now after perhaps just taking on board what everyone else believed. Hope, that's a wonderful thing, but love. Who can resist love? There's no one who can resist love. And uh, I just think it's marvellous that you're going into this session now of talking about love because it's the love of God. Yes, there were miracles in the early church, but it's said that they went from house to house, breaking bread, having fellowship, and others were joined to them daily because they saw how they loved each other. And one thing people say about our place when they come in, they said, I fe we feel home, 
we feel like we're at home, and we see how you love each other. So, you know, preaching's great, worship's great, but it's all hollow if there's not love. Thank you.